0: Hello and welcome to the latest Science of Sport podcast. I'm your host, Matt Solomon, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Adam Velly. This podcast is brought to you by Hawking Dynamics, the world leader in innovative force plate technology. Hawking Dynamics takes a user-centric approach, featuring a fully customizable cloud-based software that allows users to easily digest and analyze complex force plate data. Their technology is constantly evolving, much like an app update for your iPhone. They communicate with users on a daily basis to make their system better. In addition to all of that, they also offer some of the most competitive prices for bilateral force plates on the market. And they're the only force plate company offering a completely wireless system. So, if you want to find out more, check out their easy intro to force plate section at www.hawkingdynamics.com forward slash blog. So, without further ado, it's time to welcome Adam onto the show. So, Adam, welcome to the Science of Sport podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: And thank you for your time, mate. It's gonna it's gonna be a good one. So, you're here to discuss uh, peak height velocity. But first, can you give us a quick introduction as to who you are and what you've been up to until now?
1: Yeah, no worries at all. Um, so, yeah, uh, basically uh, went through my uh, studies as you, as you normally would, uh, exercise and sports science at Deakin University, then went on to do my master's, um, tried to get some experience out in uh, the Victorian Football League in Australia, um, and then uh, followed on to do some internships at uh, various different sports. So, dabbled in some, some cricket at Cricket Victoria, uh, Victorian Institute of Sport, um, working with sort of... Um, Olympic-based athletes in different, different sort of sports and then uh, a little bit in, in school-based environments, um, but then started to follow in my own footsteps in, in, uh, in going into a bit of the private sector, running my own business, um, and that's working with youth athletes from age nine to 18 years of age and working across all different types of sports. Um, so I'm currently currently doing that. Um, I'm also uh, the high-performance manager for AFL, VFL and National Talent Umpires, um that's the Australian Football League um so designing and implementing their programs and then I'm currently the rehabilitation coordinator at Maribyrnong Sports Academy so that's a that's a high school specialized school for sport um and we have a really good track record of of graduating those student athletes and and getting them into a a sort of either a national or international level um yeah status so that's what I currently do
0: so you're uh, you're not exactly busy at all
1: <laughs> uh, sometimes it's uh, it's hard to fit in everything in one day, but um, but hey, I uh, think uh, the the whole industry can can speak to that as well. Yeah,
0: I can imagine, mate. It's uh, it sounds like you're super busy, but uh, yeah, you won't be the only one in the world. So uh, maybe you can take some kind of solace in that. Um, <laughs> before we uh, so in, in terms of the, the content, uh, I want to start with what P, uh, PHV is or peak height velocity and why it's important. So can you take us through that one for us? <laughs>
1: Yeah, sure. So, uh, as put really, really simply, uh, peak height velocity is the period in which a child experiences their fastest upward growth. Um, and when I think when you talk about peak height velocity, uh, a lot of the people, particularly in the industry, will will uh, go straight and say that's their, that's their growth spurt. So, we're talking about adolescence. Um, if you talk in, in generally, what is peak height velocity? It's, it's actually in the early stage of your life, your fastest uh, rapid growth is between zero and one. Um, but when we, when we typically refer to peak eye velocity, um, we're, we're, generally specifically talking, sorry, about, um, adolescents and, and their growth spurt. So the reason why it's important for us to understand as practitioners, strength and conditioning coaches, and so on is that uh, a lot of changes are happening, uh, when they go through their peak eye velocity, not only are they growing at a ridiculous rate, um, they're, you know, they uh, hormonally they're changing. Their moods are changing. Uh, their behaviour changes. Uh, hormonally, uh, in terms of uh, sort of what happens from an adaptation perspective, and, and how you might be able to train them differently changes. And so, what it really does is informs us and guides us as as professionals to, uh, uh, I suppose, put the best program in place for for them. And and um, and, and an extension to that is potentially even, uh, inform our coaches with the youth or, or you know athletes that we're working with.
0: So basically, in terms of importance, it is giving them the optimal program for them at that period of their life, right?
1: Yeah, basically, um, yeah, absolutely spot on. So if we just take as an example a uh, a ten year old boy uh, who wouldn't you wouldn't expect him to go through his uh, peak height velocity at that stage. Uh, We could do, you know, hypertrophy-based training all we like, but the reality is he's probably not going to gain a whole uh, range, a whole lot of uh, uh, cross-sectional area muscle mass because hormonally it's just not circulating throughout his body as rapidly as as it would. Um, But if he was going through his peak height velocity uh, or his, his growth spurt, uh, you would expect really big and quick changes in, in say, cross-sectional area if you apply to hypertrophy-based program. So that's just one example of, of why it can be important, how we can maximize or accelerate their, their development, um, yeah, physically.
0: Absolutely excellent. So uh, now we've worked out that it's important, how are we going to measure it? And that's obviously one of the most important things to make sure we're getting accurate and reliable uh, data.
1: Yeah, it's, that's a that's a really good question um, and so there's a few ways you can you can measure uh, peak height velocity um, one of which is you, know, you can do general assessment which generally is is uh, is pretty invasive when you're talking about yeah, younger athletes Um Radiography assessment is another option, Um, but the one that's most commonly used is is anthropometry sort of assessment. So um, that's what's typically used uh, and what we use in our environment. Um, So the equipment that you need for that is a stadiometer. You just need a seat to sit on, um, uh, some weight scales and a software to do some calculations. So uh, if you were going to be recording – sorry, sorry, if you were to record – Certain data um, you're going to need their uh, the date of measurement, their date of birth, their gender, their height, their weight, and their sitting height. Um, and basically, when you put the this information into a spreadsheet um, or, or an equation, and you would use the the uh, the Merwood um, equation that was developed uh, by his group in 2002, um, you get a couple of different uh, values. There you get your maturity offset. Um, and you get your age at peak height velocity, basically your maturity offset um, tells you how far away or how far off have you uh, gone through your peak height velocity. So, um, for example, if you get a a peak height value, uh, sorry, maturity offset value of 0.08, it means that you're you're one month post peak height velocity. But if you get a negative value, let's say uh, 0.08, and negative value, then it's, it's, it's about, one, you're about one month away from peacock velocity. So, um, it's just a really simple way for us to visualize, uh, how, how close you are to it, or if you're, you're right in the middle of it, um, or you, you know, you can measure someone who's 15 years of age, but they're already two years away from it. So, um, yeah, that, that's how you measure the peacock velocity. And, and it's, um, once you collect the data, you can, you can start to sort it in a way that's really easy for you to view.
0: And in terms of those uh, reference values, 0.08, for example, that's based on the fact that there are 12 calendar months, right? So that, that kind of data is just available to, to work out exactly how uh, how far away they are in months as such.
1: Yeah, basically. But the, and the value that we really like to use is age at peak height velocity. Um, yeah, so basically uh, if you're 13 point, uh, 13.8 years of age um, and you take away negative 0.48 um, it's going to spit out that your peak height velocity, your expected PHV is, is 14.3 um, years old. So um, that's the value that really helps and guides guides me anyway
0: to, to do that. So when you've got that data, uh, how are you going to use it to, to adjust your training practically for that individual? Yeah.
1: It's a, it's a really good question and I don't think it's it's just, all right, we've got the value and all of a sudden now we're going to start to dramatically change their, their program based on their, their age of peak velocity. I think if we did that, it would get very messy because you can imagine they're growing at ridiculous rates and um, let's take, because I work in a high school environment, let's take the year sevens, for example, they're 12 turning 13. Um, and as we know, uh, when you're going through your peak height velocity, uh, the males are going to develop or go through their PHV later than females. So we could expect in year 7, to 12, turning 13, that the females are likely either already gone through their growth spurt or they're about to go through it. Whereas the males, they're, they're either just probably going to go through it at the end of year 7 um, or they're going to go through it, um, you know, likely in year 8. The reason I bring that up is that, you um, if we're gonna try and influence programs or uh you know make drastic changes uh you're gonna be really careful that um if let's say we wanted to do it in year seven um you're gonna you're gonna affect the entire cohort of it so I think it's important to note that my rule of thumb is that it's it's there to inform and it's there to there to guide you it's not there to dictate your program um so that's a that's a really important one for me.
0: Um, and then what would be the, the difference practically between informing your program and uh, guiding your program as such?
1: Yeah, that's a, it's a, it's a really good question. So if we think about what actually happens and, and how we might be able to uh, influence our programs based on peak height velocity, if we take those who are uh, not yet going through their peak height velocity, we might focus more on their speed or their plyometric-based development because we know from uh, the research, it tells us that that's what they can develop quite uh, quite well during uh, prior to peak height velocity and a lot about their movement literacy. So teaching them to squat, to hinge, to push, to pull um, and, and sort of teaching them how to train. So that is a really key focus of, of prior, uh, of pre-peak height velocity um, and fun. You've got to keep it fun. And, and generally when they're before peak height velocity, um, you, you, you know, if you start getting them to do sets and reps of, you know, let's get, it, today we're going to go through three sets of 10 of a goblet squat and three sets of 10 of a bridge and three sets of 10 of a push up. It's going to be really boring from my experience. Uh, for those who are younger, you we generally keep it quite open and different. Um, but from a uh, development point of view, um, typically I like to tick the box of speed and plyometric and real neural type, um, prescription. Um, but when we're talking about post-peak high velocity, we're, we're talking more about, okay, let's program them with specific sets, specific reps. Let's get them doing, let's say, a hypertrophy-based program because we know that uh, hormonally they're going to really benefit from um, increasing that, that muscle size and therefore increasing the potential to um, elicit uh, adaptations within real strength and power development. Um, and so how we might be able to inform. So let's talk about... I guess the uh, let's say we wanted to inform some coaches in, a, in an environment. So at Maribyrnong Sports Academy, we have different sports that operate um, and they all operate sort of somewhat individually. But within the school environments, in my role, we have the opportunity to have a look at everybody's peak up velocity data from year seven all the way through to year 12. And what we might be able to do with that data is, is sort it in a way that uh, let's say we want to sort all the basketball players and we want to see their peak up velocity. Um, their their age of peacock velocity, I might go to the uh, the football or soccer coach and say, um, Adrian, uh, I've got a list of your, your soccer players here and uh, I can see that in Year 7, your Year 7 group, uh, you've got uh, a fair vast majority of your females that have gone through their peacock velocity and you've, gone, and you've got your, your males who, who haven't quite, well, not a lot of them have gone through it. Now, if you're training year sevens just in, in, one, in one training session, um, then you might actually see that some of the females might be further developed than, than some of the males. Or if, you know, in contrast, we might have a look at the, the year rates. And you might, if we just talk about males for a second, you might see that some of the males have gone through their peak velocity, but, um, but some of them haven't. And when you group them together in year eight, for example, uh, you're going to see those who have gone through their their uh, puberty, if you like, dominate those sessions. Whereas you're going to see some of them who haven't gone through their peak height velocity not do so well because they quite simply haven't physically developed yet. It's not their fault. It's just that they haven't gone through it. And I think that's valuable information for the coach to understand. And I say that because uh, if he if this coach understands, then he's not going to you know. Um, Make the decision and say this particular student isn't up to scratch, and we're not sure if we're going to keep him in the academy uh, moving forward. Um, because if he has that information and, and knows that he's gone, he hasn't quite yet gone through his his growth spurt. Then uh, we're waiting for that opportunity to sort of equalise, if that makes sense. So that's one example of of how we can uh, how we can influence programs. Um, we've toyed with the idea of of. of uh, not of separating uh, groups based on their PHV and not by year levels, um, but as you can imagine, it's a logistical nightmare and uh, and a work in progress, I guess.
0: <laughs> yeah, I can imagine convincing all the teachers to allow them to to have free time for for S and C all at the same time can be a little bit tricky.
1: Oh yeah, mate! Like you can imagine, if I go to, to the school teacher, hey, can we separate them by peak height velocity? Uh, as opposed to the year levels, they're going to be like, "What? <laughs> what are you talking? What, what
0: are you talking about?" This podcast is also brought to you by Flex. Flex is the latest product to enter the velocity-based training market, developed by the team at Gymware. Flex is the only laser-based training system available, and it's this unique technology that makes Flex the most accurate and reliable barbell tracking product in the sub five hundred US dollar category. It's wireless, portable, and it's super user friendly. Find out why VBT is such a powerful training method and what separates Flex from the competition at flexstronger.com. <laughs> so in, in uh, terms that's... of a solution to that, is it, is it the case that you would then uh, maybe run uh, maybe two, three, four different sessions within one session to, to account for those different high, high velocities?
1: I think it's education is one of the biggest ones. So we want to educate these, these uh, coaches about this. And I think we're getting there. I think we do a really good job at doing that. Um, one strategy that I've raised with a couple of coaches is that we may not actually need to separate them based on their peak height velocity. But if we have that information and let's say the year sevens and year eights are training together. If we have that information, uh, usually because there's year sevens and eights trained together, it might be 40 athletes, student athletes, for example. When we, you know, separate them in, in different small-sided games, why don't we separate them in, in, within those groups, uh, within their peak velocity groups? But the students wouldn't know, if that makes sense. Um, and I think that's, that's a way or a strategy that we can sort of, um, yeah, go about doing.
0: I think that's uh, that's really interesting. It opens up the question as well as to whether uh, groups need to be based on uh, physical characteristics, mental characteristics, technical characteristics, or just who the coach rates as the the best players. Maybe the best players just need to play against each other. Um, And how that all fits into either one session, a week, or a a training year. Um, And I can imagine that's a really difficult conversation to have with the coaches as well, right?
1: (laughs) yeah it is. Uh, it really is. Um, but I reckon again, depending on your environment and um, yeah, I think it really depends on, on your environment, with people that you work with. if If they understand uh, the research behind peak high velocity and its benefits, then I think you you can um, you can really start to positively influence those programs because it's one thing for me to tell the football coach that this is what we should do, but if he doesn't quite understand it, he's, he's thinking straight away no, no, hang on. We're grouping them in age groups. We've done this for eternity. Why are we separating them by this age of peak height velocity value? Um, so it is It is a work in progress.
0: And in terms of uh, training load, which obviously the majority of organizations would be monitoring because it's, it's just super easy and cheap, um, is, there, is there any kind of training load recommendations that you'd give for individuals before, during, and after peak height velocity?
1: Great question, and I think this one's—I um, think this one is, is poorly understood by a lot of people, but, um, but I reckon they know the answer, but they don't know the answer. So, you know, when we talk about um, not specialising too early in youth development, so we talk about, um, you know, football programs, getting, you know, in their, within their academy, uh, getting, them, getting them into their programs really, really early. I'm talking 9, 10, 11 years of age and, and hopefully beyond. Um, and I understand there's a lot of money and, and um, investment into big big companies and organisations doing that. But um, what, one thing that springs to mind when we do that is that let's take a, a football or a soccer player, for example. They're going to be constantly playing that particular sport. Um, and if they're going to be doing just that sport and and doing lots of change of direction, um, lots of load through their grinds from the ages of 9, 10, 11 all the way through to adulthood, um, and they're not just doing one or two sessions, you know, they're doing multiple sessions, high training load, more training is better. Um, I think that's prior to peak height velocity and then during and then after, uh, that can pose, um, some chronic, chronic injuries and chronic, uh, um, you know risks to the athlete, but um, what I what I think is a really good strategy is, uh, is spreading your uh, spreading yourself across multiple different sports. So, if you play soccer slash football, play basketball in another in another season, you might dabble in a um, in some cricket. Um, what you're actually doing is giving certain aspects of your body a little bit of rest periodically throughout the year, and you're not even realizing it. You're still working on different. Uh, um, qualities like your speed, your your vertical leap, or your power, your change in direction, um, but you're not overloading constantly in in that um, in that one space. So there's less likely a chance to develop a chronic um, injury. And I work with a with a basketball. I've worked with him for for a while, and he's got uh, your classic uh, patellar tendinopathy. We know that by overloading um, that tendon too early uh, prior to peak up velocity. Um, that the, the tendon just can't tolerate those loads. And um and, 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 and behold, he's is, is, uh, turning 18 next year and he's, he's got a pretty serious tendonopathy issue that he manages. Um, so I think specialising potentially too early um, is an area that we can get better at. Um, however, I'm also aware that, hey, if you want to be good at your sport, you need to play it um, time and time and time again. So I think there's a happy medium between the two that I'm talking about there. Um, but certainly one that's interesting and um, I think a, yeah, an interesting topic.
0: I think it's, it's also very difficult when uh, when you say that, for example, and then you have deliberate practice and deliberate play for maybe the younger individuals pre-peak height velocity, um, where in actual fact, of course, they need to, to be playing a lot and they need to be uh, training a lot but then deliberate practice may be a little bit too far for them. Or maybe you just want to drip that in a little bit and not put too much in there. Um, but at some point, yeah, they do need to train and they do need to get better because if they don't, yeah, well, they're not going to make it. Um, so the goal of the, the entire training process is of course to produce athletes. Um, and if you don't do that, yeah, then, uh, then the stakeholder, for example, the director might be a little bit uh, cross at the end of the day.
1: Spot on. And, and we know if you want to get good at your sport, you just simply got to play it. Um, and, you yeah, yeah, it's, uh, know, it's, it's a really interesting um, conversation to have maybe and just perhaps, the you know, everyone that's involved with uh, uh, that, that, you know, let's say talented young athlete that's going through their youth, you know, years, um, if they're educated well enough and they work with a coach that's educated well enough from a peak height velocity standpoint, training load perspective, uh, they can manage that really, really well, but at the same time train a lot. Uh, I think that's a really great scenario, Uh, but if you don't, as we know, when at a young age and and as you go through, you know, let's say 10 through to 18, you're going to be part of lots of different programs, lots of different strength and conditioning coaches, um, lots of probably different coaches as well, um, and nobody is going to be across entirely your your training load. So I think that's where we come unstuck a little bit, but – but I'm yet to see a perfect um, a perfect world.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that exists, mate. So uh, if, you're, if you're searching for it, then maybe you can save some time and uh, yeah, just enjoy some time in a family instead of looking for that one. Um, before we finish up, I want to ask you the most difficult question that we could uh, imagine. So that's, what is the one thing that you see or do differently which the rest of the world can learn from?
1: Yeah, I think uh, I can only speak for my, myself and, and the way my career sort of progressed. And um uh, as I went to try and get experience, as you do, and 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 have a dream of working in elite sport, you, you go out and try and get some experience uh, at various different um, organisations. Um, so my my experience came from, uh, you know, doing some uh, some voluntary work at a Victorian Football League uh, football club. So that's a state league competition. Um, trying to get some some experience with uh, elite level cricketers uh, with an internship at Cricket Victoria. Um, the Victorian Institute of Sport doing a traineeship. These are all, yes, I'm trying to get experience, but I'm also trying to get a job. Um, and it took a few goes at me for, for me to understand that, uh, although I was disappointed that, uh, potentially no, no jobs came about this, um, the one thing that it did provide me now that I am in a, uh, in a couple of stable, stable roles is that they weren't waste of time. One, I got those experiences. Uh, and two, um, I'm actually benefiting a lot from the people that I met in those organisations, and um, and who knows, uh, it might actually pay off later down the track. I'm not sure, but I, I see it as a as a really big benefit. Um, you know, going crazy with the amount of experience work that you can do, um, meeting good people, doing a fantastic job all the time, uh, and no matter no matter how much you feel like you're, you're being let down, and there's no opportunity. Eventually, I promise you, there is always opportunity. Um, and so uh, you just you just have to keep going and, um, and it will turn.
0: I think that's uh, excellent advice as well, because if you look at what you need to become a practitioner at the highest level, it's probably a lot of very specific knowledge, but there's so much you can learn from different people, different sports and different environments that uh, you often see people who maybe get to, to 30 years old and are somewhat disillusioned with their position because they don't know anything different. Whereas if they've been in other positions, then they kind of realize actually what we've got now is pretty good. So I think it gives you also an appreciation for where you are, what you're doing, and, and actually, actually like how good life is, even if sometimes it's a pain in the
1: ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's spot on.
0: <laughs> but mate, um, I want to give you a massive thanks for your time and, uh, and effort for today. So, uh, Adam, massive thanks, and uh, hopefully we'll get you on again uh, sometime in the future thanks Matt my pleasure cheers buddy and that's it once again a massive thanks to Adam for all of his hard work on today's podcast I really appreciate it and I'm sure you do at home too before you leave I want to point you in the direction of our free to download agility mini course that is two hours of fantastic agility content broken down into bite-sized chunks that means that you can digest all of that great information in the spare moments around your busy coaching week so if you would like to download that one completely for free check out the show notes where you can find the link And in addition, if you've enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to hit the subscribe button on whichever sender you're currently listening to, give it a share on social media and generally share the good word of the podcast. That means that we can keep bringing you the best content possible. So that's it. Once again, a massive thanks from me. I'm Matt Solomon for Science to Sport and I'll speak to you next week.